God, we just thank you for your presence, God. We thank you for this time that we come to celebrate together in worship, God. And, uh, I know, God, that uh, we need your word. We need worship. And we need community, God. Um, and I pray that it won't stop on a Sunday. Uh, we've repeated many times that we are not a Sunday-centric church. And if we do have a service, it's because we need the Word. It's because we need to worship together. It's because we need to fellowship and celebrate together, God. But life happens during the week, God, as we get together with people. And as we, God, maybe uh, are being discipled or are discipling others, God, or... Or, or go in our, day, in our everyday lives, God, and, and just being called by you, God, to bring forth the gospel, the good news, the kingdom, in the ways you've created us, God, and the places you've called us, God. And that is church. That's where you've called us, God. And so I pray, Jesus, that today we just reflect in this Lenten season, God, as we prepare our hearts for your death and your resurrection, God. As we talked this past Ash Wednesday about what is it that we need to deny so that we can be in fellowship with you. Because without denying something, we're not able to engage fully with you, Father. And so I pray that as we engage these season, as we've prayed to maybe give something up so that we might focus on being on your presence. I pray that today we won't leave this place untransformed, but rather transformed and ready to change, God, by your Spirit, the places you've called us to change, within our hearts and outside our hearts, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, last Sunday we've just finished a series called uh, Jesus Upside Down Values or the, or the Upside Down Values of the Kingdom. Um, and we, we had our, our service online uh, last time, the last Sunday of the month. We have it on, only online. And, uh, and now, after we've, we've gone through that season of knowing what it means to leave out the Upside Down Values of the Kingdom, to be strong is to be weak. To be first is to be last. To be rich is to be poor. To have more is to have less. To be powerful is to release control. And now we're coming into a place on, of Lenten, a place of, uh, of, of, of penance and repentance on becoming aware of our sinful nature as human beings, our selfish selves take the forefront of our minds and we start actually reflecting even though we think and we do that we're good people even though we might not say it but we think it no we're not and every day you know at some point or hopefully I hope I come into an awareness of my sin you know, and a lot of times I don't, I'm selfish, I'm prideful. Andrea can tell you a lot about that. Um, but now we're, we're coming into a place of, of, uh, of Lent, right? 
or in other places they call it cuaresma in Spanish, which is 40, it means 40. In Latin it means 40 because of the 40 days before Easter. And uh, last Wednesday we started this season. Uh, I believe some of, I don't know if some of you um, attended, but it, it was the Ash Wednesday and we reflected on what it means to fast in this season and what it means to start in this season of Lent as a church. And we, we actually went into the history of, of actually uh, Lent and its origins, which actually date back to pre-Constantine times. Even, in even um, right after uh, the um, Anaician Creed, uh, you you find a written piece where the word 40 in Latin is there, where the practice was set by the church. But then, years later, on the second century, St. Irenaeus writes to the Pope saying about this quaresma, these 40 days, and talking about how his forefathers have practiced it. And it's not something new in the second century when he's a third generation of the apostles. So his grandparents were contemporaries of the apostles. And that's how far down this Lent stuff comes, inspired on the 40 days where Jesus was tempted. And now it's 40 days before his death. And now we, you know, hopefully reflecting on this thing called sin and why Jesus came to the earth. So now today, um, um, hopefully we, we come into this time of reflection, his death and its implication, um, hopefully taking us into a journey of repentance and humility as we await Easter Sunday. And today I want to just focus on what is sin. So I looked it up like a lot of us do. We become lazy. People think I know the Bible, but I go to Google. Um, <laughs> here you go. Sin. <laughs> An immoral act. That's a is the first definition that came up. Sin. An immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. And then the synonyms that appear, you know, on the bottom when you look for a meaning, it says like synonym or... Whatever, he says, wrongdoing, immoral act. So the first thing that came up is immoral act, then wrongdoing, right? Those were the first synonyms that you find. So an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. And rightfully so, right? We see in many times in scripture that's how it's defined. But it's deeper than that. And also the prophets talk about not just being an action, but... Something more than just a wrongdoing. Something more than just an immoral act. You know, yesterday I was hanging out with some internationals. Uh, Lara was there, and uh, there was a couple from Lebanon, a couple that one, one of them is from uh, uh, the UK, the other one, the husband is from Ireland, and he's a funny guy, and, you know, and, and then he always joked, like, he's my pastor, though. You know, they sometimes come to church. But, you know, he's just very funny, and they just started to come to church sometimes, and they've heard probably the gospel for the first time on the times they've come to the church. And, and then he just, he just, like, said, like, we're, like, playing a game, you know, like a, like a, car, like a car game, like kind of like those, like, you know, not a car, but it's more like a fun game, like charades and stuff like that. And, 
And they say, oh, maybe we can do this and, you know, like, pretend that we're doing this, but we're not doing this so we can earn a point, you know? Like, he's just, like, joking around. Mm -hmm. I'm like, bro, I'm a pastor. I can do that. And then he just starts laughing. I'm still laughing. And then he's like, yeah, yeah, now I'm, you know, yeah, yeah, because now that that's a sin, right? Like, he's thinking about, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, if I do that, I'm, I'm sinful. And I, he said, like, yeah, I'm going to go to hell if I do that. You know, like, I won't go to heaven. And I'm like, well, thank, thankfully, you don't go to hell for that. And I really meant it. You don't, you don't go to hell for that. It, it's, it's more than that. It's deeper, right? So, so that's seen an immoral act considered to be a transgression against human law. That's what it says. <clears throat> so traditionally seen is wrongdoing. So it's an act, right? So it's not just wrongdoing, but I believe it's wrong being. You know, I, I first heard this uh, from... Uh, from a, a devotional that is the almost of the almost of the highest I forgot but it's like a devotional is very well known and he talks about this thing called it's not just wrongdoing but it's Jesus did not come to die for your wrongdoing he came to die for your wrong being right sin is more about wrong being than wrongdoing right and. Uh, so it's, it's not just an action, but rather it stems from a deeper issue, right? So this is, this is uh, what I want to focus. Um, just three things about sin. So sin is more about wrongdoing than wrong being. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm more about wrong being than wrongdoing. So um, we, you know, Lara just um, read the passage. And this is a good passage because... Here, Jesus, if you go to verse 21, right, um, it says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Right? So th there are these causing in the passage that was read, you know, um, um, uh, where, where Jesus said, He called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. Now, before that, Pharisees were saying, oh, your disciples don't wash their hands, you know, blah, blah. And then, and then, you know, they're just talking about all of these things, right? Always like putting stuff to Jesus. And then Jesus is like, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And then he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. What comes out, not what comes in from the outside. Not by the action of eating, you defile yourself. Not by eating He's saying, nobody eating pork or an, an unclean, like, food. You know, that, that that you eat within, physically, comes out physically, right? And we know when you, when you go to the bathroom, it comes out, right? That's what he means. <laughs> Actually, I, I looked, there, you know how there is the Greek on the, yes, you look at the Greek, and it says, like, on the Greek, it says, when you go to the latrine. I was like, oh, that's the Greek. It's not expelled, <laughs> but when you go to the bathroom. That's what Jesus actually said. Uh, just so you know. 
So anyways, uh, so he comes out, right? And then he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From, from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thought. So he's saying, well, the action comes from the being of the heart. That's what Jesus is saying. Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, death, murder, adultery, so forth and so on. So, so it does not have to do with just an action, but where it comes from. It comes from within the heart. Now, let me give you another passage here that I believe it, it, it proves to not just be a wrong doing, but a wrong being. And it is, <clears throat> it says um, on Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 28, it says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, you know, the, 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 you have heard it said, but I say to you, right, there is like a whole list of those things. And a lot of that stuff, it's like, you have heard it say action, but it actually is not that. It's the deeper issue. You have heard it say outward appearance, but I tell you deeper issue, right? That's what Jesus kind of gets into here. That's just an example. You can look at the passage and see like, oh, that's an outward thing, but then Jesus goes deeper into the heart. And... and and that's what Jesus was preaching. It's not that he's going against what scripture said. He's saying, no, I mean, yes, but there's more than just what we see, what we saw on Google or what my friend Sean thought. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I did this wrong. I'm going to hell. There is more to the story of Jesus. There is a whole relationship that comes with that. So. And then also, if you think about it, this is not in my notes, but I just thought about it. First John chapter one, verse nine, it says uh, that for those who believe in him shall, shall become children of God. So shall become children of God. It's, it's a, a sense of being. You're becoming a child. You're not like, oh, you're cleansed from the actions that you've done or you've been, you know, uh, what is it, uh, forgiven, you know, or the debts that you have have been, it's, not, it's more of a becoming, a being, you know, that John talks about in, on First John chapter 1, verse 9. For those who believed in him shall become children of God. Now, another thing that I saw about sin is that sin is to want control. So sin is not a wrong doing, but a wrong being. Now, sin is to want to be in control. Now, I, I take this from uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, and then, um, and then also chapters, uh, verses 16 to 17. And it says, And out of the ground, this is just verse 9, it says, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the side and good for food. This is Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. 
And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, verses 16 through 17, fast forward. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, eat of it, you shall, you, you shall surely die. Right? So now here we have God saying that he, he made uh, two trees right in the middle of the garden. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge, which contains good and evil. You know, I, I, one of my uh, professor, Old Testament, Dr. Whitman, really explains this well in a deeper detail. And, and, and he talks about how um, the knowledge is both good and evil. It's not like the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. They're compartmentalized. Now, as you say, knowledge just contains both, right? And then there is two trees, knowledge and life. That's it, two trees. You cannot eat knowledge. You can eat a lot of life if you want. No knowledge, but life. And all the other trees, right? And then, and then, uh, you know, as I see this, it's like, okay, God desires life, but we crave the knowledge. God desires life, but we crave the knowledge, right? As human beings, we crave the knowledge. Putin craves the knowledge, craves craves to control the knowledge of good and evil, right? But only God can do that. So Adam and Eve desired to be like God in being able to have the knowledge of good and evil. But in their mortality and limits are not able to control it. We see that the serpent says like, hey, look, you, you, did God really say that? Well, you know, I don't, I don't think you'll die, you know. If you eat of this, you will become like God. Right? And then it says, like, like it, was, it's a, it was a fruit that was desirable for wisdom, you know, for insight. And, 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 and then, obviously, the enemy always gives us half-truths, which are lies, right? So it's kind of true in a way that they will become like God in knowing good and evil. Hence, when they ate it, they felt shamed. And then God is like, okay, why are you feeling shamed? And it's like, okay, they got the knowledge, but they are not God to know how to control the knowledge that only God is able to control. Now, if you think about it, human beings like controlling the knowledge, like to know what to do with it, right? You see in New York City all of these big skyscrapers and all of these things like, oh, yeah, you got to know this and know that. And like... It just takes you to a place of, of, of wanting to, to control that knowledge and, and, and be your own God in a way, right? That's why a lot of, you know, uh, if you think about uh, uh, dictators or presidents or whatever, like they, they just want the power. They, they want to control things, you know, crave that control. And then obviously everyone, human being, like, Okay, let's let's try to do whatever we can with the knowledge that we have, you know. And think about your anxiety. Your anxiety is basically you not knowing something that you wish you knew, or you wish it happened. But you're gonna do anything you can in your knowledge to actually be able to not have that anxiety. So then you work a lot, or 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 some people, you know, like do stuff they shouldn't do, or they because they feel so much pain, they go and 
do drugs or or because there are you know there's so many things that we do because we are not able we are don't have the capacity to do that that only God can do which is to control that which he can only do so so all, all to say that's what we see in the word power play wars crimes narcissism all that sort of stuff that happens it's just because Seen is to one control. But then something happens when we release a knowledge to God. The knowledge of, hey, you know what? Like, okay, I, I'm just going to release that control, God. I don't need to control everything. I don't need to control needing to know what's going to happen tomorrow or, or needing to control tomorrow so that I can feel good about myself. Right? I don't need to be my own God. And there's a release of that control. But obviously, we, we crave that control. We crave that knowledge. That wisdom that's there. Because it makes us wiser. It makes us better. It makes us feel good about ourselves. So, so sin is one to be in control. Like... Adam and Eve wanted to have control of their own lives because they saw God and they were like, God, he, you know, he can do whatever he wants. We want to do whatever we want. We want to have control of our lives to have that knowledge of no, doing whatever we want. But we're limited to immortals. We can't. We are going to do what the people all around that we've seen are doing, right? And ourselves, like all the stuff that wars and crimes and all this stuff is just... It's just a result of that. But sin is trying also to fill the void in our hearts with anything but the love of God. I'm going to turn our attention to this passage and then we'll finish with this. So we talk about sin being, it's more about wrong being than wrong doing. Sin is to want control of our own lives. Like Adam and Eve craved it from the tree of knowledge rather than having life with the tree of life. And now sin is trying to fill the void in our hearts with anything but the love of God. Okay, Piero, prove that. Okay, go to John chapter 4, verses 7 to 14. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty. Again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty 
again. And that's what I mean, like, with sin, it's trying to fill the void in our hearts with anything but the love of God. We try. Netflix, social media, news, chocolate, you know. Bandeja paisa, you know, stuff like that. We just try to bring it on, right? It's it's like uh, uh, it, we just want to fill it fill it in with water that satisfies for a while, but then it, it's not enough. Adam and Eve thought it was not enough to have God Himself walking with them in that intimate place on the garden. They wanted not the life, the living water, the living tree, but rather desired something that only God could control, justice. Meaning the society that God intended in the world. He is the only one that is able to bring true justice. So, so basically, as we saw in the passage of Mark, sin comes from within the heart of people, right? On the first passage that Lara uh, read for us. When we try to legitimately fill it up, which takes us to act selfishly. In this passage in John, Jesus beautifully portrays that other waters will make us thirst again, just as sin does in our hearts. And he has proved time and time again how power, money, and success, as defined by the world, only leaves us wanting more. But if we drink of Christ's living waters, we will not thirst again. We will be legitimately satisfied. Sin is only illegitimately trying to fill the void that only God himself can legitimately fill. Let me finish with this. You got Putin on one side. You got Hitler on the other. It's pretty fair to say that. So you see this, you're like, oh my goodness, yeah, they are killed so many people, right? Some, some of them are doing it as we're speaking. Some of them did it about 80 years ago. But we see this and we see it like, yeah, that's like the epitome of sin, right? Like they have done evil. They wanted power and money and success and, 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 and they wanted it and they want more land and they want more, more power and they want to hold, like they want to be king of the world or whatever. They just want that, that, you know, that the, they were craving, that which Adam and Eve craved when they wanted that knowledge to be like God. And they wanted to be like God. Hence, they do these things. But I'm going to tell you something. We are just the same. Why? I had a Greek professor that will give us this example. And he will say, yeah, you, you just can just be like Hitler. You could. I'm not saying you will, but you could. If just the, the precise circumstances will present around you, maybe you would have chosen like they chose. I'll give you this one. Justin Bieber. 
that's a picture. He was 19 year old. He got arrested because he was driving drunk. In that season, everyone was complaining about Justin Bieber. Like he had Christian parents. People know that. People knew that. But he was just living a reckless life, and I mean, you can see it in his face—not not not godly at all, at all. Not Jesus on that, whatsoever. You know, he just literally in prison with like the whole thing. So like, all to say, what if you would have the fame, the money, and the power that he had? I mean, we can complain all we want. We can say, yeah, Justin was, on that season, Justin was like A, B, C, and D. Like, I, I can't believe he grew up on like a Christian family and now he's drinking and being reckless and he could have died. He could have killed someone. We can say the same about our other examples here, right? Judge, judge away. Well, let's judge away. But the truth of the matter is, is that we don't, we just been, we should be grateful that we haven't had the temptations that they've had of power and money and success and maybe parents that were politicians um, on, and somehow helped them to get into power or, or in, in his case, uh, the people that they met, you know. Thankfully with Justin now, he's been light, so, you know, which is amazing and I think that took a lot and I think... I mean, who knows if I would have been him, if I would have been where he's at now, but that's impressive to surrender that kind of life to Jesus now. But it was easy to judge away then. All to say, our sinful state lures us to want to take control of our lives and takes us to different sources of stagnant waters. They're not satisfied, ultimately impeding us from drinking of Christ's living water. So in this Lenten season, let's reflect on the seriousness of sin. That we could just be like him or them. And, and, and how prone our hearts are to act from our sinful state, juxtaposed with the good news, the gospel of Jesus, where we reflect on his sacrificial love and pay the will pay the consequence we should have on the cross. And raised to life to give us living water and satisfy the void of our hearts. So let's reflect. Remembering that sin in our hearts comes from the heart. Remembering that if the circumstances were just right or super wrong in this case, we could have just been like. So let's reflect now. Let's take a time. Have I minimized the current state of sin in my heart by comparing myself to others or by seeing sin more as a wrongdoing rather than a wrong being? Let's just ask these questions to ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to just to just start like speaking to our hearts. In what ways am I leg illegitimately filling the void in my heart? In what ways? I mean, we talk about Netflix and all these other. It could be it could be something good sometimes, like work. Like when you should go to bed at eight, you're going to bed at eleven, because and you know you shouldn't, because it's not good for your body and your soul. 
I'm talking about myself a lot here. In what ways this Lenten season is God calling me to deal with sin in my life as I look forward to the death of Jesus and His resurrection on Easter? So, so as, we, as we're praying right now, because we're praying as we're reading this actually, to the Holy Spirit to bring forth that conviction to our hearts, we think about, okay, have I minimized the current state of sin? Have I judged away Putin, Kidler, Justin Bieber when he was a crazy guy? Maybe I'm not realizing that I'm just as prone as they were on that season because of our sinful heart. And if we've realized that, that it's not just a wrongdoing, but something within us. It's not just what Putin did. It's not just what Hitler did. It's not just what Justin Bieber did. But it was about the heart and the circumstances which tempt them to do so. So now we ask God, in what ways am I legitimately feeling the void in my heart? Let's just close our eyes and finish up this time as we now... Uh, going to transition to communion so Holy Spirit I pray that you will bring forth conviction bring forth those things that I am illegitimately filling the void in my heart God whether it's food or whether it's news or whether it's um, screens I don't know God or, or addictive patterns uh, or relationships. God, I don't know. Or, or people that I'm putting before you. Or work or performance or, or, or control in my life. And God, I just pray that as you reveal those, that you will also in, reveal ways in which this Lenten season you've called me to deal with sin in my life. And I pray that you will give us ways on how to deal with that. In what ways tomorrow, God, can I, instead of filling my heart with that illegitimately with, with something that is like water, stagnant water and not living water, can I, and can I replace the stagnant water that's there and he's going to smell sooner or later if it stays still but rather the living water that moves and is fresh in you that brings eternal life God I pray give me strategy even as I take the bread as I take the wine reveal that to me reveal that to each of us is it prayer is it Reading scripture, is it going out? Is it being with friend and worshiping and talk? Is it confessing to someone something? Is it taking a step of risk into something that you've called me to? Whatever it is, God, to get the living water, I pray that you will bring it forth in our lives, Jesus. In our lives, and we release that control to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.